I've decided that today will be our last service for a while. And we're going to talk about it in a panel discussion where it says sermon in the booklet. Um, we'll be having a discussion about that and why we're doing that and, and, and what we're going to do in replacement for that. As you all know, the world's gone completely crazy in the last sort of few months and especially in the last few weeks. And so much so that um, things have been moving very quickly um, in the leadership discussions in our church. So you would have even seen that I sent out on Thursday a letter or an email that went out to the congregation saying how we were going to proceed in the weeks coming forward with the services. And then um, and the wardens were saying on Friday that, oh yeah, we'll be fine to keep meeting for a while until the government says not to. And then on Saturday, um, Mandy put on our WhatsApp group that the leadership team has saying, hmm, I'm not sure that we should be meeting anymore. <laughs> um, so I want to explain to you um, our thinking. It's probably not that much of a surprise to most of you. And then once we get through the kind of first bit about talking about the logic of why we, we're going to pause Sunday services, talk about like the, the amazing um, opportunity this is for, for the kingdom of God and for a, a way for us to respond in a way that yeah, brings something positive to this hard situation. Let me introduce to you Michael Loftus. Ladies and gentlemen, Michael Loftus, put your hands together. Yeah. So I just thought I'd give you a bit of background. I, Michael, tell, me, tell us about how we first met. Just, we're going to go quickly through this, but I just, I'm not going to do this with every panel member, just with Michael. <laughs> um, but just tell us about how we first met. Guys, I, I love the story. Uh, so I'm not sure if we met we didn't, at the first mustard no, we event I went to, but I... Um, uh, I'm an old Kerrigamarian, which is, I've seen my alma mater in the paper this week, but I um, went to a mustard event when I, as a year 10 student, and Kim Beals and Renee McKenzie and others were there, and uh, that happened shortly after a, a close friend of mine had died very suddenly, and so I thought about, I think I was thinking a lot about Christianity uh, as a result of that mustard talk, and I went to St Hilary's a couple of weeks later, from the 13th of February 19, uh, 2004, and actually, uh, Angus, hearing you read Luke 15, that the, the sermon that was preached that night uh, by Mark Leach was Luke 15, the parable of the lost sheep, um, which really resonated with me at that point in my life. And so I became a Christian then. And at that time, you were the, uh, the youth minister at St. Hilary's. You, you helped run a master group at Cary. And so that was mm. how we got to know each other yeah. years ago. So it's pretty crazy that here we are 16 years later and you got a baby there and, you know... Married to one of my wardens. and <laughs> Now, Michael, why have we got you up on the stage? Tell us about what you do. Uh, yeah, so I'm, uh, I'm a doctor. I work at Alfred Hospital and uh, my area of expertise is infectious diseases. I'm an infectious diseases physician. Uh, so normally that means a lot of my focus is on bacterial infections or parasites like malaria or fungal infections, but, but also covers viruses like HIV or hepatitis. Uh, but obviously coronavirus falls under that and... Um, not me directly, but colleagues of mine have been caring for coronavirus patients for the last few weeks, some of those who were repatriated from the Diamond Princess back to Melbourne, uh, but also, um, yeah, a lot of my, my colleagues senior to me, but have been involved in discussions in Canberra and elsewhere trying to work through uh, preparations for how we as a country and a healthcare system deal with um, the coronavirus pandemic, yeah. So it's pretty amazing that we have access to Michael in our congregation, because, you know, lots of churches will be going, oh, I've got no idea, and they're just listening to what the government's saying to us on TV, which is a good thing to do. But tell us, Michael, you've been advising us as a leadership on what we should be doing. Why, why do you think it is a good decision for us to pause our Sunday services um, for the time being? 
Yeah, for, for sure. I think I want to emphasize what you pointed out. Things are evolving incredibly rapidly. Um, you know, we've only been talking about or thinking about this virus for a matter of weeks to months. Um, the Alfred Hospital is already up to its 19th iteration of the guidelines for how to manage coronavirus patients. So there are new guidelines, new testing algorithms coming out all the time. So things, and even from our first discussion on Tuesday through to yesterday, things have evolved very rapidly. I guess uh, one of the, the, the big principles for this virus is that um, we, we don't ha yet have a vaccine. We don't yet have effective treatments. And so the, the real thing that we have at our disposal is social distancing. And, and that's what is gonna be implemented quite aggressively. And we've seen that around the world. Um, the, the principle behind that is that we hope to slow the, the peak of transmission. It will probably be impossible to stop all the spread of this disease, but we really wanna slow it. The reason behind that, um, you know, if you think about the, the numbers, if one person gives it to three per people in one scenario versus one person gives it to, to two, or everyone gives it to two other people, if you do, you know, three, nine, 27, 81, you know, once you get out to six or seven, you're up to 700 in one scenario versus 64 people in spreading it to two people. So in an exponential curve, even if we can bring it down just slightly in terms of avoiding going to work, doing very good hand washing, we can change the shape of the curve. So the, f the fear is that we don't want this, there's one scenario where this might come through society very quickly and it might all be over very quickly, but that would be a really short, very high peak, uh, at which point there might be huge demand on medical services, at the same time that those medical practitioners like myself and others who work in healthcare might be sick themselves or looking after sick family members. And so the hope and, and the best way to deal with this is for us to flatten out that curve. Ironically, the better we do this, the longer this will last, um, the better we are at slowing it down. This may cause disruption for a longer period of time. But the hope is if it's a lower curve, a flatter curve, we will have the resources in, in our healthcare system to manage it uh, and that you know, healthcare workers may still get sick, but at different time periods, individuals may get sick, but at different time periods. And so, you know, we were reflecting during the week, I think our interactions here at church are fairly low risk. We meet in a lovely big, big space. Um, there's not too many times, I know we'd stopped communion already, those times where we might be in close proximity or sharing the common cup. Um, but I think it was felt that, um, particularly where this is being moved with many other areas of society, church, as, as important it is to, for us to continue to support each other, it's not an essential for us to meet in person and there are ways and I know we're going to talk about that later there are ways of us continuing to minister to each other and worship God together not meeting in a physical space um, and so that's why we've sort of come to this decision thank you Michael that was a, an amazing explanation you should be working for the Prime Minister I think um, so um, by the way we're going to give you an opportunity to ask questions at the end of this discussion so yeah that's the that's the first logic and um, uh, the, you know, as the wardens, we, we've been talking about, you know, wanting to do the right thing for the congregation and also um, thinking about what it means to show love. So this is not just about fear for ourselves, but it's also about thinking about what's the best thing for the congregation and for the wider community as well. Mm -hmm. So part of this is thinking through, yeah, just participating in the Australia, the worldwide process of flattening that curve. Yeah. So, um, thank you, Michael. You can't leave the stage yet, but um, we might we might let other people speak. But I'll just the the first thing that I've been really thinking about this week is about um, I've been involved in several discussions uh, with other clergy and um, people talking about like how we're going to do church 
in the next month or few months? Because, you know, when I asked you yesterday, how long do you think this lasts for, uh, could last for, you're very um, cautious. <laughs> yeah, I, I think my response would be it will be months, not weeks, and months, not years. So I think, again, it's, it's hard to know, but it's, there will be disruptions in place for, for many months. Those might change, depending on where we are on the curve, if, if we're at the peak versus if, if things are coming down, I think uh, the approach that is taken will change. But I think we should all be thinking about in terms of months. Yeah, in terms of months. That's quite full on, isn't it? Like after being meeting as church for six and a quarter years um, in this space, I'm feeling quite a bit sad today, um, knowing that, that this will be um, the last time for a while, not forever, but for a while that we meet for a Sunday service. And, uh, you know, the, the kind of, um, you know, it says in the Bible that we shouldn't stop meeting together. And so we'll feel it, you know, when we stop meeting together. That it, it, it's amazing how this is going to flip our our perception of, of uh, you know, often, you know, as Christians, you go to church week after week and it just becomes part of what you do in routine. Sometimes, sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes you can go, oh, yeah, it's Sunday, better go to church. And now that we're not going to be able to, it's going to be just like, wow, it will ache, I think, for a while for some of us. Um, but, but as, yeah, as I've been talking to other clergy friends, I've been thinking, wow, this is like this amazing um, full-on disruptor uh, the coronavirus to the church. Um, what I mean by disruptor is it's it's a it's a it's been forced upon us, and we've got no choice but to think creatively about how to do ministry. I remember a few years ago we did a strategy day with the Mary Creek leadership team, and Naomi Schofield, who kind of does consulting in this area of how you think strategically with teams, gave 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 us some questions to play around with. Um, for vi coming up with vision for the church. And the sorts of questions were questions like this. So, like, imagine if you were in 1960, what would you do with your church? Imagine if you had $50 million, what would you do with your church? Imagine if you could only meet with 10 people, what would you do with your church? And this is, like, one of those scenarios. Imagine if there was a pandemic, what would you do with your church? And so it's forcing us to think creatively about... Um, about all kinds of opportunities for us as a church to do different kinds of ministry. Um, now, what we can't do today is commit uh, to what we're going to do because it's moved so fast, literally in the, in the space of a few days, we're going, oh, uh, what are we going to do? So I'm going to talk in sort of broad terms about the sorts of things we're thinking about. Don't sort of sign me up to promise that I'll do exactly what I say, but I'm just going to give you some ideas and hopefully that might give, get you thinking as well and you might be able to share, um, you might be able to think up ideas and pass it on to the leadership team. But um, maybe I'll get, give Beck an opportunity to speak. I'll give you a direct question. So, like, like, what's some sorts of things you've thought about, Beck, in terms of pastoral care, for example? Like, have you... I'm very late to this, so, you know. I'm yeah. not on the church council, so I've been thinking overnight about I mean I've been thinking about it all week look there's a lot of things already in place um, but in terms of pastoral care to not meet face to face doesn't mean we don't meet we are we are a culture that has all kinds of ways of catching up virtually so that's the obvious very obvious thing that we can do um, community groups Oh, can I say something? Yeah, you, you. So I th my understanding, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, is that at the moment we're actually pausing all our activities. So if you do have a community group today and you want to do it, go ahead. We've met today and you have my... I sent, I sent out 
hygiene suggestions to community groups last week, but now we're saying, so this is how fast it moves, now we're saying let's just pause everything for a week or so till we know exactly what we're going to do. Um, and then we'll have a better idea and we'll have some good suggestions. But I just suggest that you keep up with people, for starters. I, the thing that came to me last night was this is an opportunity for, to become really good prayers in the first instance um, on our own. Like if, you, if you're going to work at home or be at home from school, um, oh, take the opportunity to learn to pray, to be with God and to open his word and to be with him and to enjoy him. Because, you know, when we were reading that story, I, was, I love the different titles. I was thinking, you know, this is the loving, gracious God that we have in the midst of anything. So go there. Mm. But when you go there too, know that lots of people are there as well. Even if you're on your own, you pray with the multitude. So if you're praying on your own, picture yourself with one another. So these are the first sort of things I'm thinking about personally. But also keep in touch with each other and, and pray for one another. But also we want to know, the staff want to know what's going on. So I don't know what it will look like, but somehow we want to be hearing how you're going if someone's sick, if someone needs something, um, if someone's lonely, if someone... if. You know, if people are at home and it's not nice to be at home, mm. you know, we want to know those sorts of things so that we can support and create networks amongst ourselves to support each other. Everybody has a different situation and some people will endure hardship in different ways over the next months. Mm. And we really, this is an opportunity for us to learn really deep prayer and mm. pastoral care for one another. And I think that's what God's calling us to. And it was funny because that flick said to me this morning, prayer and pastoral care. And I thought, yep, that's what I'd been thinking overnight. Mm. So yeah, does that help? You. That's yeah. really helpful. Yeah. yeah. You're welcome. Yeah. And it doesn't mean too, by the way, that we can't have um, one, one-to-one one visits either. Mm. I'm thinking, you know, I, I'm still meeting with people one-to-one. Um, and we just we just need to work out what this looks like. Mm. How big a gathering? Um, we really want to. Oh, we're not going to be planning Sunday services. We'll have all this time to yeah. <laughs> look after each other. I'm actually yeah. personally excited, yeah. in a sense, and energized by how. What is God going to do? What is God going to be doing in the church mm. around the world at this time? I, like I feel a bit tingly thinking yeah. about it. So one of the things I do imagine is that we will redirect the staff's time to um, creating sort of systems so that the congregation can minister to uh, uh, each other, but also to the neighbourhood, to the wider world. So I think it's really important that we don't just think of ourselves. Um, you know, it's not like bunker down time. This is the time for the church to shine. I, I did read this, I don't, I don't have it in front of me, but I did read this quote from Martin Luther um, who wrote a whole thing about um, Christians being sort of, com you know, strong in a time of a, of a pandemic. Um, I think he used a different word than pandemic, but that kind of, yeah, yeah. And, um, and you, know, um, it, you know, I think that's right. I think, I think this is the time for us as the church not to be foolish, you know, because we've got to protect our families and our friends and each other, um, from spreading the virus as much as we can, but, but also 
there are things we can can do. Um, wardens, oh yep, back oh, The other thing I was going to say is there, uh, every Sunday I send out an email to, pe to about 40 people in the church at the moment, which is uh, readings and prayer for the week. If you would like to join that, come and tell me today. Mm. I think that would, at this time would be a great thing to do. Mm. And it's, it's pretty simple. You don't have to do it, but you might want to tap in and, mm. and get some guidance on that. Yeah, and be praying the same things with people through the week. The other thing that's going to be fairly easy to do is is to think for for us to think through ways we can still um, engage in the Bible and, and and do teaching and um, maybe this will be a really fruitful time for people to kind of go back back to the Word and um, we've got amazing resources now um, with technology to be able to do that. Um, so. There, it could be a scenario where we do some kind of a Sunday morning thing online, um, but I've got to work out um, how to do that first. <laughs> I mean, some churches are set up for... I know St Hilary's aren't meeting any, uh, for the time being, so today is their first Sunday off, but they've got um, full live streaming technology in their church. So they're, they're running a full church service, but with no congregation, and it's going online. So, um, like the cricket. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> like going to the footy. Um, so, um, Wardens, do you have anything that you would like to say? Why don't you introduce yourself too, by, for those oh, who hello. don't? Hello, I'm Mandy. I'm one of the Wardens. I'm married to Michael, so we've been talking about COVID a lot in our house. <laughs> um, I might say two things. One thought I've just had this week as we've been talking and figuring out what we're going to do, um, and as Pete and Beck have said, I actually think this is a great opportunity for the church to be a different model. Like, I've, you know, I'm sure you all would have seen this week footage of people literally like having punch-ons in the supermarket aisle about toilet paper and this mentality of everyone for themselves, each for their own. This is a good opportunity for us to model something really different. Um, and I think as we work out what we do instead of meeting on a Sunday and how we minister to each other and our broader community during the week, it's just yeah, a really wonderful opportunity, I think, for the church to look very different. Um, and the other thing I thought, maybe, Michael, you can talk a bit more about this, is... Um, as you said, Beck, there will still be opportunities to meet one-on-one -on -one or potentially in prayer triplets or prayer squares and so in your community groups you might want to think about what you can do on a smaller scale. Did you just want to talk briefly about why that's an okay thing to do? Yeah, I guess thinking about the, the principles of social distancing and how this will work. Um, so going some what we know about the virus generally people are thought to be infected for others possibly for 24 hours before they exhibit symptoms and then during their symptomatic period and so there's always a, a, a risk a window of period where people may have the possibility of being infective and not knowing it but that is relatively narrow and so I think a lot of the key principles that we will have and this should should be for all of us in all of our environments is really if you are sick and unwell um, particularly with a fever with a cough with a sore throat Runny nose doesn't appear to be a predominant symptom of COVID, but often it can, if, if you get one respiratory virus, you might have another. Um, so if you're unwell, really about not, not attending things and really trying to limit your contact with others. Um, but if you, you think about if we had, hypothetically, if there's one person who is shedding virus without knowing it, uh, in a gathering of 70 people, there are 70 potential contacts, albeit... Um, uh, not close contacts. If you thought about a small group meeting of, of, of 12, um, again, there, there are more potential infective people and more potential contacts. But I think if we're meeting in threes and fours uh, and people who are symptomatic are not turning up, you know, it's low risk. There's only that very small chance that um, 
you might be in that asymptomatic window period, and hypothetically, if you were, you would have only had contact with a few people, and you would know exactly who you would have to tap on the shoulder or contact the next day and say, actually, I've become a bit unwell. Mm. You should monitor very closely for symptoms. So, uh, again, we need to continue living our lives. I think we need to think creatively about how we do that. I think... Um, you know, we, we, it's important for us to have contact with people, but possibly limiting our social networks in terms of physical. So I think families will continue to meet. You know, where our daughter's still going to be seeing her grandparents and seeing her cousins and, mm. and all of that, but perhaps limiting that and also closely monitoring for symptoms. Mm. So I think triplets and, and prayer squares are a good way for us to do that in a safer way. Mm. Um, one, one thing that I'm conscious of uh, uh, the vulnerable people, not, not just vulnerable from a health point of view, but also from a, I mean, employment point of view. So, you know, it seems like there's going to be people who lose their job, quite, maybe potentially quite a few. Um, and and um, so that's something for us to be really um, aware of amongst the congregation, but also our friends and people in the community. Um, yeah, and also I've been thinking a lot about the people in this congregation working in healthcare, because you're on the front line, you know. Um, and I, I just think um, this is going to be like a time... Like you said, you said to me on the phone something like, um, we'll remember this, this time, for, forever, you know. Yeah, I, I think so. I think nothing like this on a global scale has happened for 100 years since the Spanish flu. And, uh, yeah, we're, we're prepared for it as best we can and we're dealing with it as best we can. But I think mm. we'll, we'll tell our children about this, this time, yeah. Yeah, so, so we're going to try and think of ways to support each other um, also uh, if people are underemployed and... Uh, or without employment, and um, yeah, I don't know what we can do just yet, but we're going to try and think creatively. Um, uh, yeah, and please, please be communicating if with us um, if you if you're in that situation. Don't keep it a secret. Um, also, if you're sick, don't keep it a secret. Please, we you know we're not going to necessarily put a notice on the Facebook page, <laughs> but um, it's it's we can be here to support each other in whatever way is possible. Um, other wardens, do you have anything else? Erin, you're one of our health workers. Yeah, just to, to give some context. So my name's Erin. I'm one of the wardens. Um, in my Monday to Friday life, I'm a midwife, but I work in our um, quality and risk and operational sort of side of things um, at the hospital I work at. So this has been kind of day-to-day -day for us for a number of weeks um, now. And so it's it's been interesting for me thinking about at work, we're thinking about how do we make sure people are well, but also we're thinking about things like productivity and making sure we can still keep the cogs turning and keep people well. But for me, the thought around for Mary Creek is thinking about those implications of if we're not meeting here on a Sunday, how do we keep the cogs turning for our community and how do we keep that sense of community alive and real? And so I'd really echo um, the comments Beck's made in terms of the ways we're thinking about how do we maintain connection? How do we pastorally care for people? Um, and part of that is me thinking about my role as a community group leader as well. I see that role as being really important at the moment in terms of being, um, yeah, a really important interface, I guess, between Beck and Pete as um, people who might be leading that pastoral care work and then also um, making sure that the people that I'm yeah, ministering to as a leader of a community group that I am in touch with them. And it's all stuff we do normally week to week anyway. We're just thinking about different needs that people in our group might have to what their needs 
usually are. So I think that would be my encouragement for the other community group leaders is just to, um, it's not something different to what we do already and it's not something different to the leadership responsibilities we have um, been gifted for and have accepted for this year, but it's just thinking about it from a slightly different point of view. I think it's really, mm. yeah, really important role for us as we move forward. Thanks. Mink, do you have anything? Uh, probably just a, a little thought that I've had. So Mink, I'm also one of the wardens. Um, as we've been thinking that we're going to wind back our meeting, uh, it'd be great for anyone who's got ideas about how can we meet and uh, minister to each other and do community and define what we think health is as a as a faith community, as well as what's being focused on around uh, society. That it'd be great if that can be shared with the leadership team. Uh, as you can tell from here, we haven't worked out everything about how this is going to work and I think over the next few weeks we'll work out the best ways that we can uh, function together and share community and, and things in the context of all the things that are going on around us uh, in society and, and part of the reason for thinking why we need to ch make a change now is that we can see a lot of things happening at a government level and uh, th through the, the diocese and we can expect that there will be a lot of change in the coming weeks. Mm. So, so let's work together and, and think together of how can we continue to be a you know, relational and, and meaningful community, even mm. with the, the things that will be changing around us. Mm. Thanks, Mick. Um, so just so you know, the next thing we'll do is I'll give you opportunity to ask questions. So questions, does anyone have any questions? Just stick your hand up, yell it out, I'll repeat the question in the mic. Patrick. Just on a, on a sort of micro pragmatic level, like how much kind of... So I think the just thinking about how, as best we know how the I mean we've only known about this virus for a couple of months so research is is coming out all the time but it, it's generally spread in a similar fashion to influenza and other respiratory viruses we're confident so um, part of that is people coughing and sneezing uh, so good cough and sneezing etiquette into a tissue and washing your hands or into your elbow and, and shoulder. One thing that's important is that uh, people can shed virus in droplets onto their hands and touch surfaces and the virus can remain on those surfaces for many hours, possibly some days. And so I think within a home setting, I think, you know, hand hygiene as you would normally do, I think it's really about when you're going out and about, which people might be doing less, but hypothetically if you're going to the supermarket, I think one of the key messages, which is true, is not touching your face as much as you can because if you get droplets on your hands and touch your face, that's an important way that you can get in. So having the virus on your hands is not dangerous, but it's really about trying to wash your hands to get it off there at the end. So my approach would be if you're going out and about, in this hypothetical example, the supermarket, you know, you would wash your hands before you went to try and reduce the risk to others in case you were in that asymptomatic phase. You might do your shopping, being very conscious to try not to touch your face, and then you might have a little bottle of alcohol hand rub, or as soon as you get home, you, you try and wash your hands as, as best you can. So I think inside the home versus outside the home, I would treat a little bit differently. Um, hand washing is certainly not, not sexy. A vaccine's far more exciting and sexy, and we'll grab all the headlines. But I think, to be honest, while we're awaiting that, um, you know, social distancing and hand washing is what's going to save lives. So really, they should have been fighting over soap, not over toilet paper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. We should all have one of those things that the dogs have, you know, that go, go around the neck, the plastic things. <laughs> so you try and scratch yourself in your car. Other questions? Um, it's just a question about, you said about sharing ideas of getting together in small groups. How do we communicate with each other? Um, I'm a walker and very happy to walk with people on a Sunday in Mary Creek. We can go to Mary Creek. Um, 
Excellent. Yep. Excellent. And Michael, you said that outdoors is brilliant, isn't it? Yeah, generally outdoors safer just in terms of um, less communal surfaces, particularly if you're walking down a path. Um, and um, yeah, the, the breeze and other things makes it less risky. So I can imagine, again, don't commit me to this, but I can imagine we might have some Mary Creek um, days where we go walking or something. I know Jono... Good luck, he's in the congregation wherever he is. He's about to go on a school camp tomorrow. But, it, um, but it's bushwalking through the mountains. So kind of like, while lots of schools are counselling camps, that's probably not a bad place to be, <laughs> bushwalking in the mountains. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And also I was thinking, we could all become hippies and move to the bush and just live in tents and stuff and like, anyway... Um, that's not that's not one of my ideas. But thank you, Kate. That was really good. Yeah, that's really good. Um, so in terms of a, a, t a question about, say, if you wanted to communicate that, um, that that's where we'll, I think the easiest way to do that is to ask the staff because you can email us and we can, um, yeah, because we've still got to keep privacy laws and, and all that sort of stuff. And we've got ways to communicate with the whole congregation easily and, 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 and that stuff like that. Yep. Michael, would you make a comment on face mask wearing yeah, so I think a really so this applies to to masks and it applies to testing as well. Um, there are significant concerns about global shortages of of everything. Ironically, the the biggest manufacturer of face masks in the world is in Wuhan, China. Uh, <laughs> I've discovered the other week that one of the largest manufacturers of the swabs is in Milan, Italy. So. Uh. Um, but it's, I mean, this is unprecedented in terms of global supply chains, um, even with factories ramping up production, every country in the world is after these things. So the, the, the primary, um, the chance of us, particularly if you're social distancing, but the chance of you being on a train with someone with this virus coughing onto you and you acquiring it is relatively small. I think a greater risk would be holding onto the bar in the train and, and touching your face and acquiring it through that because someone could have coughed or sneezed on that bar or touched that bar in the last day or two and the virus could be there. Mm. I don't know what... They might be increasing the washing, I'm not sure, but the virus can persist in surfaces, on surfaces for much longer than it can transmitted through the air through a cough or a sneeze. So really, I think that the risk we want to be thinking about is surfaces. So masks, we really want to be keeping the masks available for someone who is known to have a confirmed case of coronavirus so that they're not shedding it as far. And then for healthcare workers who are caring for those patients, because the, the worst case scenario for us is for healthcare workers getting infected, who might then infect other healthcare workers in a communal setting like a tea room or from sharing a computer keyboard or infecting vulnerable patients. So the same principle with testing. The testing regulations, I think, will, will, will change. Um, but even at the moment, the government is encouraging only those who have returned from overseas with symptoms or have had confirmed contact with a known case with symptoms. Uh, at this stage, we're not testing people who have a cold and a runny nose from the community. In an ideal world, perhaps we would test those people so we would know, but it's really just a, a, a risk balance. You know, if we're worried we're going to run out of kits over the coming weeks to months, we really need to reserve it. And so probably the messaging is going to be, if, you have a, if, you're, if you're sick and unwell, stay home. Um, and if you're really, really sick or you're a healthcare worker, you may get tested. So we're trying to limit those resources. I think there are some questions here in the, yeah. in the middle. Graham. Thank you, Michael, for your specific 
helpful advice. In my case, uh, I walk to my cafe and back on a daily basis, 130 meters. I do it because it's good for my mental and physical recovery. And I sorely want to hold on to that. The cafe is very methodical in wiping the, the tables continuously. The staff are obviously instructed to do that and they use a chemical in doing that. And the toilets are fitted with a hand wash lotion, which I use. Do you think that's a reasonable risk for me? I, I think it's very hard to, to comment on, on specific cases um, because I think the risk is not is not zero by going out and that risk will, will change as more people within our community become infected. Um, the risk is that there could be a staff member in that asymptomatic period beforehand. But I appreciate that there are things and activities that we do which um, bring us joy and meaning um, and are of importance. So I think it's important that we tell everybody about social distancing and measures to be taken. I think if you're unwell, you have a really strong responsibility to, to minimise your contact with others as much as you can. But for those who are well and making a decision about what, what risks you take in terms of what you want to do, I think there's a, it's very hard to assign value. Um, the government will, make, I'm sure, make some recommendations. I know there are some countries overseas already and these may come into to place in Australia where certain types of um, gatherings you know, or certain kinds of businesses may be closed, um, those measures might be implemented and if and when they do, we'll be bound to, to, to meet with those. But it is tricky because what value you place on, on those activities is really hard. Yeah. Back here. This is a little bit of Dorothy Nixon. Michael, you talked about social distancing. Given what we know about SARS-CoV-2 um, causing COVID-19, what segment of the population is at risk of infection given it's got a high or believe have a high transmissibility rate? Which people, for example, in this congregation or which people that members of this congregation are seeing need to be actively say, look, no, thank you for offering to visit, but I'd rather you didn't come. In terms of vulnerable groups, that... Um so I, I think we, we know a lot about who is vulnerable to getting sick with the virus, and I can talk shortly a, a bit about that. Uh, and I think that would probably might help people in their risk assessments of what they will do um, with visitors. In terms of um, who might be the, the most significant transmitters or, or super spreaders, as it were, that's... Um, I don't think we have particularly good information on that. It's, it's a lot harder to perform that research because you, you, you sort of don't know someone might be a super spreader until you chase all their contacts and not retrospectively, and this is moving so quickly. But we can look at who's ending up in hospital, who's ending up in intensive care, and try and calculate what are the risks of that. I think some of the... Um, you know, one of the numbers is the mortality rate. So over an entire population, what proportion of people who have this virus might die? That, that number is somewhere between 1% and 4% from the figures that we're coming out. But that within a population, that varies significantly. That also depends on the healthcare service that is in place and where the services are being overwhelmed, like we might be seeing in localised areas of Wuhan initially or in Italy um, at the moment. So within a population, we know that children, somewhat surprisingly, are really not badly affected by the virus at all. There have been very few adult deaths at all in, in, in children. And it appears that the vast majority, sorry, the vast majority of people who get the virus will have few or mild symptoms. So that is encouraging. I, want, I think it's important to know that 
we're not doing social distancing because we think that everyone who gets this virus will die. That's not true. Most people like Tom Hanks and others will have very, very mild <laughs> symptoms and be isolated. Among young people and young, younger adults, 20s, 30s, 40s, it appears to be very low, but the, the risk of mortality appears to rise uh, as you get older, sort of 60, it starts to go up, and certainly among nursing home residents, it's thought that the mortality rate might be 15%. Uh, they are patients, you know, in seasonal influenza. I think it's worth remembering that influenza in Australia kills thousands of Australians every winter, hundreds of thousands of people worldwide. So this pattern of having a virus transmitting in the community that leads to many deaths. That does happen every year, but we have a vaccine to protect people, we have a vaccine to protect healthcare workers, which is why we're resorting to such aggressive social distancing. Um, so I think in terms of the at-risk populations would be the older people are, um, and certainly nursing homes going to lockdown, that's much of the reason for that, and they're trying to limit visitors in and out. And I think people who have um, chronic respiratory illnesses, so uh, COPD or bronchiectasis, uh, are thought to be more vulnerable, and people with a suppressed immune system um, for whatever reason. Um, Thank you. And, yeah, that, I mean, that's hard hearing that. Um, like, it's sort of comfort for some and others it's not, um, but it's true, isn't it? And we need to hear it. And um, I think that's where we really need to um, be looking out for each other and praying and um, especially thinking of the vulnerable people in our community, in our congregation. Um, I think I'll pause the questions now just because we've got the kids upstairs and Richard's... Laurel, OK, can we do the answers really quickly? Laurel, yep. Uh, so, generally, gloves. I would I would say no. Partly as well in terms of being needed in the hospital setting. Gloves. Once you touch a surface, those gloves need to be discarded. So, in a hospital setting, you might go into a patient's room, do the things you need to do, and then throw them in the bin. I think for us, um, it's much easier. You'll run out of gloves. I think so. It's just washing your hands regularly is the way to do it. Because if I caught the train and wore a pair of gloves, there's still a risk that I would infect my face from touching it, despite having a glove. Mm. And so I think good hand washing, yeah, I think gloves are probably unhelpful and there's a risk that as you take them on and off, you might still contaminate your hand, so there can be a false sense of security. So uh, I think I would strongly discourage gloves. You know, I think a hospital setting is really the only case where they're needed. Yeah. Kath, that's the last one. We mean as a prayer, but for example, what is the distance that is recommended for like one to four people? Uh, I, there may be more sort of, again, the evidence for this is evolving. Often it's extrapolated from other viruses. There are funny studies where people cough and then they put out plates, you know, one, 1.52 metres, or they put cages of mice or hamsters or whatever animal has a similar receptor to us. We don't yet have those studies, but probably I'd say about a, a metre, roughly. Um, so I think, I think four people sitting around a dining room table uh, would be okay. I think I wouldn't want to, you know, I know in small groups often people, you know, are all scooched up on the couch. I think, you know, maybe two people on a three-person couch would be, would be fine. Um, I think probably the most, the most important thing through all of this is if you're sick, if you have symptoms, don't come. That's probably going to be the most important thing because I think we need to remember that most of our interactions with each other will probably be with people who are not infected. There's a really small window where people are infective but don't have symptoms. It is there, so there will be people who spread it unwittingly who don't have symptoms, and I think we need to be mindful and forgiving of that. But most of our interactions will be with, with people who are not infective, and I think we yeah, need to keep that in mind. All right, Michael, thank you so much. Uh, it's going to be a weird thing, but let's give... Um, 
Let's pray. Yeah, please join me and bow your heads. Dear Lord, thank you that you seek us out wherever we are, whatever we may have done, that you're almighty in your compassion, love and mercy towards us. We're overwhelmed by the fact that you delight in our relationship with you and that you long to embrace us. Thank you that you're able to bear our burdens with us and that when we're yoked to Jesus, we can fully enter your rest and find peace and shelter in your love. Lord, you're our refuge and our strength and ever-present help in trouble. Over these last weeks for many, it seems that our world and the sense of control that they have has given way. Lord, help us to rest in the knowledge that you are everlasting. You are the God whose image we bear and in whom we can trust in all and in any situation. Thank you that you long for us to be enveloped by your love and that through your spirit we can cry out to you and you hear us, even when we don't know what to say. Holy Spirit, you make prayer out of our wordless sighs and aching groans, keeping us ever present before God. Thank you, Jesus, that you experience the human condition and intimately know our suffering, even to its most extreme extent. We lift up to you this time of trouble and uncertainty. Lord, still our anxieties and fill us with wisdom, grace and generosity as we move forward. Lord, we pray for our country and its government. Help them to make good decisions that are filled with compassion. In this time when it seems that the trust in our nation's leaders is at a low ebb, help us to unite behind their planning to protect our community, particularly the vulnerable amongst us. We ask that the measures that have been implemented in Australia will work to keep us safe, and thank you for the wisdom and expertise that we have available to us. As your people, Lord, give us a generosity of spirit in the face of fear and perceived scarcity, and help us to be secure in the knowledge that you love and care for us deeply, that you've known us from before we were born, and that you're always with us. Lord, we pray for other countries in our world which are further along in the COVID-19 pandemic, and we ask for your healing and comfort. We pray for those who are unable to access treatment and for those who have lost loved ones. Lord, please protect those who are caring for the sick. We pray for the roll-on effects of a pandemic for our economy, for those whose jobs and businesses are in jeopardy. We pray that our nation will help protect those who are on the margins and who do not have reliable employment or who have limited resources to draw upon. And Lord, as a congregation at Mary Creek, help us to support each other and continue to prayerfully consider our role in the community. Help us to draw inspiration from your church over the centuries where Christian community operated in a way that was completely countercultural and radical. Help our presence to be one that speaks to the greatness of Christ and echoes the sacrificial love which is at the heart of the message of Jesus. We ask for wisdom for our leaders as they consider how our church should operate during these uncertain times. We pray all of these things in your holy name. Amen.